1: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 13, that's our passage today, John chapter 13. We're in a series of messages entitled, Living as Passionate Lifelong Followers of Jesus Christ. And this is the key concept for today, a passionate follower of Jesus works in humble servanthood. We're looking at the qualities of what it means to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Our mission statement here at Quail Lakes Baptist Church is that we exist to win and build passionate, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. That's the words that we use to define the, the biblical word of a disciple. That's what a disciple is, a passionate, lifelong follower of Jesus. But what are the qualities of the life that meant to show that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ? Well, two weeks ago, we looked at the quality of worship. Today, we look at the quality of work. There's going to be the quality of wisdom, the quality of witness, the quality of warm-heartedness. All of these things are aspects that we must be showing in the way that we live if we are followers of Jesus Christ. Today, humble servanthood. And the example of God-honoring servanthood that we look at from the Bible this morning is Jesus himself. Jesus is showing us what it means to be a servant in John chapter 13. The setting of the passage is the evening when Jesus will later on be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Very soon after the events we'll look at today, they will travel across the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane. There Jesus will be betrayed and arrested, and of course the events of the trial and the crucifixion begin to play out. But prior to all of that, He's with his disciples in what we call the upper room, in a room where they're enjoying a meal. And the meal that they're having together is most likely a, an early Passover meal. And as the evening gets underway, Jesus notices that an aspect of work, a task, has gone undone. There has been no one willing to wash the feet of the guests at this dinner, which would have been expected. Pick up the reading with me, John chapter 13, verse 2. It says, The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus shows us what it looks like to serve others in a humble way. And we, as the followers of Jesus, are meant to be like him. So, serve others in a humble way. Let's understand the setting. In Jesus' day, dirty feet were the norm. The roads were either dusty or muddy. And most people only wore sandals in that climate, in that situation. So uh, dirty feet were common. And it was also common when you held a gathering as the guests arrived to have a basin and some water at the door and a servant there to wash the feet of the people who were arriving. It was a point of hospitality. It was commonly understood. It was an everyday thing. But it also was a humbling thing. And that's where working for the Lord begins. God honoring servanthood starts with humility. Because ask yourself this question, why had this job gone undone? Why didn't anybody pitch in? Why were none of the disciples willing to to get up and jump in and see that this very normal task was seen to? And the reason was because this was a slave's task. This was a servant's job. It was a demeaning job. The thinking was that the person who's doing the foot washing is less than the guests who have come to the meal. And each of them looked around the room and said, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, that's not my job. They were limited by what they were willing to do because of their sense of their own status. Status is the issue here in this story. Status is the issue. And because they sensed that their status was above washing feet, no one jumped in until Jesus himself did. Leonard Bernstein was a composer and conductor, and he was once asked, what's the most difficult instrument to play? What's the hardest instrument to play in the orchestra? And his answer was, second fiddle. He went on, he said this, I can get plenty of people who want to play first violin, but to find the one who plays second violin, which with as much enthusiasm as first violin, that is a problem. But if nobody plays second violin, we have no harmony." You see, true humility is called for. And true humility is not thinking bad about yourself. True humility is not having a poor self-esteem. True humility is actually just not thinking about yourself. About jumping in when there's a need, something needs to be done. It's not, not about you know, analyzing and seeing how we're coming off not having anything to prove, not having any status to demonstrate. It's not concerned about how am I you know, being looked at, am I impressing. It's simply being authentic in the way that we live and meeting the needs that are around us. That's true humility. It's the status idea that is troubling in this room. When Jesus got up and put on that apron and picked up that basin of water and walked over to wash the disciples' feet, He was eradicating the idea of status. He was throwing it out the window. It's, he, he's saying to them and to us, you know, I'm not about to be boxed in about what I can do or should do simply because I have a sense of my own status, rank, prestige, reputation, all that went out the window. Jesus did the job of a slave. You remember back in John chapter 1, John the Baptist is talking about the coming of Jesus. He's predicting that the Messiah will come. And at one point in John chapter 1 verse 27, he says this about the Messiah. He says, He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, you need to understand that that was not a reference that John just took out of thin air. He wasn't just speaking off the top of his head. The rabbis of the day had disciples, and the disciples, the followers of the rabbi, were often given tasks to do, just like a, an important celebrity might have an, an assistant, you know, and the assistant or the intern is, is given tasks to do today. It's, it's the intern that makes the Starbucks run that go, f- go fetch my dry cleaning, you know, bring the car around, these kind of things. And the disciples in, of the rabbis in those days had the same kind of thing. They had to do little jobs that the rabbis would ask them to do as they learned from the rabbi. But there was a job that they could not be asked to do. What they couldn't be asked to do is anything with feet. It was too demeaning. They weren't to be asked to lace up the sandals of the rabbi or unlace the sandals of the rabbi or wash the feet of the rabbi. That was beneath the disciple. That was a slave's job. So when John the Baptist is using that imagery, what he's saying is, not only am I not really worthy to be a follower of this Messiah, I'm not worthy to be a slave of this Messiah. That image was already out there. And Jesus, however is willing to be the slave to the disciples. Because there's a little more to the scene than what John tells us. When Luke tells us the story of this upper room meal, he adds something that John leaves out. He says this, Luke 22, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. (laughs) Can you imagine? Now, Luke doesn't tell us exactly when that happened in the course of the meal, but I can't imagine for a moment that that bickering about who's the greatest actually would take place after Jesus washes their feet. I can't imagine that. I imagine it went like this. Jesus is sitting at the meal. Things are starting to be served. He hears this discussion among the disciples, this bickering about status, about who's the greatest. And his eyes travel to the door to the unused basin of water, an unused towel. And in light of what they're saying and what he's hearing from their hearts, and in light of what's not happening, Jesus gets up and throws all image of status and reputation out the window when he begins to wash their feet. If it happened that way, can you imagine what happened to that discussion about who's the greatest? I imagine a blanket of silence descending on that room. But it raises a good question for us. And the question is, how free are we of thoughts of rank and status? How liberated are we of regarding things or tasks or even people as beneath us? Are there some people that we don't want to be seen with, for fear of what it will do to our reputation? How much do we care, really, about what party we get invited to or don't get invited to? How often do we see tasks who need to be done, and we say to ourselves, well, I'm not doing that. That's for somebody else. And we think and we mean for somebody lower than me. I don't do diapers. I don't do trash. I don't do feet. That's exactly what the disciples were thinking. I don't do feet. But Jesus does feet. He got up and He did feet. These are the jobs that are beneath dignity and status. Are there roles that you think are beneath your status? Because if the answer is yes, this is Jesus' invitation. He says, I want you to switch status with me. Now, at first that sounds great, right? Switch status with Jesus? But then you come to find out that for Jesus, status doesn't matter. I think what it means is this. We have to push aside the issue of status and exchange for it the issue of worth. Jesus wants us to be as secure in our worth before God as He was secure in His worth before God. No matter what the task we're called to, you see, we are worthy in God's eyes. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, His blood was shed for you, and you are a child of the King. As long as you go through life trying to get your good opinion of yourself through acceptance in somebody else's eyes, as long as you go through life trying to feed your ego from the compliments you earn or the pats on the back that you get, what will happen to the central part of you is that things will begin to shrivel up. Because deep down, all of us realize that no matter how many pats on the back we get or compliments we receive, there are aspects about ourselves that those persons who are complimenting us don't know. And if they knew about those aspects of ourselves, we're tempted to think, well, they wouldn't be complimenting me anymore. They wouldn't be so nice to me or acceptance of me. When when you're all about status in the eyes of other people, You begin to live a life of performance. It feels like you're faking it all the time. You're you're an imposter. And what happens when you live that way, you begin to just dry up. However, there is nothing you've ever done that God hasn't seen. There's nowhere you've ever been that God hasn't been there with you. Even when you've been trying to hide from God, He is there. And He is watching. And yet, He loves you and he sees you as a person of worth, worth dying for, there is nothing you can do to make him love you less. And when we understand that sense of worth before God, you don't have to fake it anymore. It's not about impressing people. It's not about performing in front of people. It's simply about Obeying the one who loves me, and that gives me a powerful center of gravity in my life. What is my worth? I'm loved by God. What is my identity? Jesus loves me. That's who I am. And the value ranking in the world by way of power and wealth and popularity and prestige, all that goes out the window. We can free ourselves from the motivation that comes from competing with others and looking better and keeping up appearances And we can find the joy of simply saying, I'm loved by God. So I can serve with humility. Because that's what Jesus does. He stepped out and was different than everybody else in the room. And that's what God wants us to be willing to be different than anybody else in the room because we sense our worth, not our status. It's really all about love. God-honoring service is love in action. And the first thing I want you to know about love is that love sees the need. Jesus saw the need. He was observant. Jesus' eyes were off of Himself, and He saw the need that was not being met. And that's the initial trait of humble service. If you're going to serve, you see the need out of love. That's step one, and many people never take it. They never see the needs, really, out of love because they're too busy looking at themselves. And you you know what that's like, right? We all do it. You you walk by a reflective surface and... You know, maybe there's some spinach in there. I'm glad you do that. We don't want to look at the spinach. You know, that's okay. Okay. But it can be taken too far, right? It can be pretty much all about looking at ourselves and not just in an attitude of the mirror or something, but but in every situation of life, it's really all about me. And so we begin to evaluate life this way. Hey, am I comfortable? Am I happy? Am I safe? Am I well? As long as all those things are yet, why should I get involved? If those things are, are, are yeses, why? I don't have to get involved. Those other people's problems are none of my business. Why should I step out of my comfort zone? Because I'm perfectly comfortable here and life is all about me being comfortable. But love looks up past me. And love sees the need around us. And based on who we know we are in God, we step out. I want you to go back to verse 3. It says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And the foot washing began. But I want you to notice the word so in the beginning of verse 4. So, in other words, in verse 3, John tells us about Jesus' self-awareness. He knew who he was in relationship to God the Father. Because of that self-awareness, so he was able to step out and take a slave's task and serve his disciples. There's an important lesson there about what prompts us to love and to serve. It's not that we think so poorly about ourselves and I have such a low self-esteem that I might as well do the lowly task because I'm worse than anybody else in this room. That's not it at all. Jesus saw himself honestly. So, because I know my worth to God and my role and my place, I am free to serve. Love sees the need. Secondly, love does the little things. Prideful people only want to do big things, right? Sure, I'll pitch in. Is this going to be on the news? Sure, I'll pitch in. Where's the video camera? Am I going to be on the video? You know, big things. I want things that, th- things that are seen. Little things, however, are beneath them. One man has put it this way. Everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. That's true. Who's going to make sure the bathroom is clean? Who's going to stop and pick up the litter? Small things require humility. Big things get the headlines but it 's the little things that demonstrate love. Not too long ago, I was entering our restroom here on a Sunday morning, and there was a man on a, in a Sunday suit with wads of paper towels in his hands, and he was wiping down the countertop because the countertop had become inundated with water. It was a little thing, but a lot of guys ignored that little thing that day, and he stepped in yesterday we had. Men here on the campus, and they changed the oil of about 26, the cars of 26 uh, single moms or um, elderly ladies. And you think to yourself, 26, there's thousands of cars in Stockton. 26 is not that much. No, it's a little thing. But it wasn't so little to those ladies. And it makes a difference. Christ did a little thing. The dinner could have gone on without the feet being washed. Nobody dies of dirty feet. But he was willing to do that little thing and step in. And then I want you to see that God honoring service multiplies itself in other servants. In other words, when we serve, it's catching. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is not Jesus cracking the whip. This is not Jesus saying, look, guys, get busy with the whole feet thing. No, this is Jesus inviting them and us to the kind of life that is a true disciple life. It'll be evidenced in a humble service. And when you serve humbly, there is blessing. Look at verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is Jesus inviting us into the next step of our journey of growing in our faith. And this step, of, this invitation is a step to service which brings blessing. Some of your Bibles translate the word blessing as happy. Happy. See, there's a, a, a benefit to being willing to be humbled and to serve. Human beings are complex. Sometimes we do the wrong things for the right reasons. Sometimes we do the right things for the wrong reasons. There is such a thing as self-righteous service. Self-righteous service is sporadic. It's temporary. It's pretentious. It's obvious. It wants to be seen. It picks and chooses where it will serve for its own benefit. But humble service is motivated by need. It's indiscriminate. Its its application is tender and compassionate. It's quiet. It doesn't create an obligation of payback. But it brings with it something more central. See, God is in the equation of humble service. And he says, what I'll give you is blessing. The world says happy are the winners. Happy are the ones who are lifted up. Happy are those who are waited on and celebrated But Jesus says, this is the formula for the happiness that I can give you. Do the humble deeds motivated by love, knowing that you are loved by God. There, you show that you are a passionate, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? And in an attitude of prayer, I'm going to ask you this question. Is there a task that you've been walking past and you've been saying somebody else should do that? Meaning somebody lower? If God brings something to mind this week, pick up that task. Lord, we pray that you enable us to be Christ like. And when we say words like that, sometimes we don't understand that it will call us to humility, it will call us to sacrifice, and it will call us to work in such a way that you are glorified. Lord, forgive us for the times that we think of our status first. Help us to know our worth and to serve simply because we love you. Thanks in advance that you can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The team is back to lead us in the closing song. Let's stand together as we sing.
0: Jesus is the perfect example of being a humble servant, and we should follow him today.
1: As always, as we prepare to leave the sanctuary, we have prayer counselors by the organ, by the prayer table here up front. They're waiting for you. Maybe there's something in your life for which you need prayer, an issue you're facing, or some, something that's of a concern. They will wait. They will represent your need to the throne of grace, but you slip forward and meet them. But first, let's all pray together. Lord, we know that in the week ahead, we will have the opportunity to humbly serve. Help us to see it. And help us to respond in ways that model the fact that we are seeking to live like you. Dismiss us with your blessing and watch over us in your care, we ask. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.